0: Welcome to another exciting weekend message from Encounter Church. For more information, visit us online at EncounterPGH.com. Thanks for listening and enjoy the message. Good morning, everybody. My name is Jared Lonza. I'm the lead pastor here, and it is just my pleasure to be able to, to bring to you a word that I believe is timely and meaningful. Um, thank you for braving the rain. I saw a couple people walk in today who have rain all over their shoulders and people who've walked around. I love our community because it's walkable, it's a bikeable community. And for those of you who came in from down the Butler Street and had to walk all up this hill, thank you for joining us all summer coming up this big hill in 40th Street. Just another couple of weeks and we'll be back at our home in Arsenal. Well, today we are continuing our Together series. Um, this is something that we're passionate about. You probably have noticed by now that we're talking about relationships a lot. And this is no coincidence because just before this, we had a promotional Uh, video about our life groups that are going to be starting. We are very intentionally pushing towards the fall because we are so excited. I got to tell you, as a pastor, I mean, I love preaching. I love Sunday mornings. I love coming to church and seeing all of you. But I tell you, the reason that we started this church was not so I could get up here and preach. It was so that It was so that we could build relationships with each other to such a point where we grow in our faith, we're passionate about it, that we can't help but share with other people. And the hope that Jesus has inside of each of us will spread throughout this community and the rest of the world. And that is why we did it. And life groups are going to be such an incredible place to find belonging, to find meaning. And, um, and so this series that we're in together is really all about prepping that. It's this understanding that we need each other. The life is not meant to be lived alone. It is meant to be lived together. And last week, Pastor Scott taught about uh, a relationship in Scripture with David and Jonathan and how they were just this, this unlikely friendship that ended up forming and how they were able, able to support each other in life. And then even long after Jonathan had died, David remembered his friendship so much so that he even took care of Jonathan's own children. And how, how friendship is the form, is the basis of all community. And how God created friendship for us so that we would live life in community. But life is more than just friendship. I mean, relationships, togetherness is more than just, than just having friends that we can live life with. There are times when people are actually brought together for a purpose in life. There is something to do. And and so there's another aspect of relationships that we want to explore today. So, last week was friendship, and this week we're talking about something called mission. This idea of that sometimes people come together for a purpose to accomplish something. A great example of this is every year my family goes on vacation, and we just came back this past Saturday. And when we go on vacation every year, it always begins with us going to Walmart to buy groceries. Now, now typically what happens when we go to the grocery store is we are, the men have been given this list of groceries that is, it's sort of like we're now going on a hunting mission. We basically are given this list of all the things that we need to be able to purchase for the rest of the week so that we can have groceries and food in the house that we go to, and it seriously becomes this task, this mission that the guys go on on and we're like running around as though we've been given, you know, some secret task. And lately, the last couple of years, the, the ladies have joined us, have joined in in this this whole task and it's become a little more efficient because they're a lot better at it than we are. But I but but the the funny thing is is that we 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 banded together, my brother and my dad and and we just get together and we have this list and we're like, "No, no, no, it's over here." And we run to this aisle and we find the groceries that we need and we go to the different places and it's become a lot of fun. Now that sounds kind of silly, but it does illustrate the point of that we have this relationship where we enjoy being together. We spend time together, we go on vacation together every year, our whole family, and some people think that's nuts, but my family is very close and we love being together. But there are times where we get together and not only do we spend time just having fun, we had something to do, we had a task to accomplish. Another example of this same kind of a thing that I think we can all identify with is, is the concept of a classroom. I mean, most of us, all of us in this room have been in a classroom at some point in our life. But the point of the classroom is not just to learn something. The point of the classroom is to gain knowledge, to acquire knowledge so that we can then take it and apply it somewhere. I mean, if any of you who have, have ever been graduated high school, how many graduates of high school do we have in the room? Just raise your hand. Let me see how many people have actually just gone through high school. How many of you have ever heard the word senioritis? Anybody? Anyone? Okay. Senioritis is, is, is generally classified as this idea of, I'm so tired of being in the classroom, I want to finally get out of here. Now, most people who are seniors, you would say to them, well, what are you looking forward to? And they say, I just don't want to go to school anymore. But I would think that there's something deeper than that, which is this desire to not only be done with classroom learning, but to go and finally live life, to do something. The same thing is true in college or any type of classroom. It could be a trade school. It could be, um, you know, seminars, conferences. You get excited about what it is that you have acquired and learned. But there comes a point in every person's life when they have learned so much that they now want to take what they have and they want to apply it. They want to use that knowledge. And there's more there's more to relationships than just, than just our connections with other people. There is a mission that we have in life sometimes. We have this desire to put it into practice. And the same is true for our faith. So we learn about Jesus. We come to church on Sunday mornings. We hear, you know, good messages. We, we read scripture. We learn at the feet of Jesus what life is supposed to be like. But then we also think, but isn't there more? And I would say that there is much more. There's much more to life than just acquiring knowledge about who Jesus was, about what our life was meant to be like. I think we have to at some point to start applying that. And so we're going to explore another relationship in in Scripture. Last week we talked about David and Jonathan. And this week we're going to talk about actually the disciples of Jesus when Jesus sent them out and gave them a mission, a task to do. If you guys have your Bibles, I would encourage you to pull them out or turn them on on your tablets. If you could turn to Mark chapter 6. Also in your programs, there's a note page that has a scripture on there, and the scriptures will also be on the screen. Mark chapter 6, what we find is that Jesus had just gotten done being rejected in his hometown. Jesus had done all these incredible miracles. He has a reputation everywhere he goes about being the man who heals. He creates a lot of controversy because he steps on the toes of a lot of the, the religious leaders of the day. And Jesus went home to his hometown called Nazareth, and everyone mocked him. Everyone made fun of him, and they said, who is this guy? This is Jesus. He was that carpenter's son. He's, I know Joseph, and believe me, Joseph ain't nothing to look at. And then that's what they said about Jesus, okay? So they're mocking him, and Jesus said that a prophet is not even welcome in his own hometown. So shortly after this moment where Jesus goes home and gets rejected by his own, his own neighbors and people he grew up with, He then goes out, and he continues to go on this sort of a preaching tour, a circuit, right? He goes around the different communities around his hometown area, and he takes his disciples, his closest disciples with him. And this is where we pick up. Mark chapter 6, verses 6 and 7, it says this, Then Jesus went from village to village, teaching the people. And he called his 12 disciples together, his closest ones, and began sending them out two by two giving them authority to cast out evil spirits. So what we see here is that in this moment, Jesus said, all right, guys, the classroom experience is done. We're done with this. There will always be learning and there will always be things, but now you're jo- it's gonna be on-the-job training. You have heard from me enough. You have sat at my feet enough. It is now time to go out and do the work that I have been sent here for and I am partnering with you in. The classroom experience is done. Now it was time for them to go out and put into practice what they had learned. What they had received, we have a graphic up here, what they had received, they are now required to give. And what they have learned, they are now asked to teach. See, they are no longer becoming the students, they are now becoming the teachers. Their job at this very moment in time was Jesus was saying, you have followed me And now I have come to even fulfill my mission even further, which was to raise up an army of people who will show the good news of God to the people. And so he sent them out two by two. And the cool thing is the last part of that scripture verse, it says, giving them authority to cast out evil spirits. He was giving the disciples the authority to attack the kingdom of darkness. Authority. I mean That's important to understand. Jesus didn't just say, hey guys, go out two by two and kind of go to the villages and do what you're supposed to do and see what happens. He said, go into the communities and all of these places. I want you to pray for the sick and they're going to be healed. I want you to cast out evil spirits and you have the authority to do it in my name, Jesus Christ. The important thing to understand here, guys, is that Jesus is asking them, and he's asking us as his followers today, to be participants in the revolution of true life. I mean, that's really what we're talking about here, is this is true life. We go around our daily lives, and so much of what we do is it's like this, this mask that is, that is numbing us. It's, it's this, this, this thing that's distracting us from what life is truly like. We, we surround ourselves with, with creature comforts and, and, and all sorts of luxuries that we can purchase and, and things that we can have because when we are alone to our own devices, we realize that life is missing something. And there are so many people out in our communities, out in the world, who are feeling this exact way and they don't know the answer. And so Jesus sent disciples, sent his followers out. And this is us. Those two, he sent two by two. He sent them out in pairs. That's togetherness. I underlined those, those little pieces in the scripture. Let's go back to the scripture verse. If you look at it, I underline a couple of phrases there. He called his disciples together. So first of all, it wasn't just that they were alone. He called them together into a relationship with each other. They were needing each other. He sent them out. There was a call, a mission. There's a purpose for it. And he gave them authority. There was a popular movie that came out in the 80s called The Blues Brothers. Have any of you seen The Blues Brothers? All right, we have an image of them on the screen. And there was a very famous, famous line from the movie that says, we're on a mission from God, right? We're on a mission from God. And that's the main idea of our day is that is that we are on a mission from God. That's the whole point. The whole concept of of coming to faith in Jesus Christ is not just for myself. It is that there are others out there in the world who need the same hope, who are craving relationships, who are craving a place to belong. And we are on a mission from God. We have been called into relationship with each other so that we would go out and that we would share the good news of Jesus with the rest of the world. We're on a mission from God and we need to take it seriously. The disciples did. What happened to them? Let's find out. Let's read further in verses 12 and 13. And this is what it says. And the the verse should be on the screen here. It says, So the disciples went out, telling everyone that they met to repent of their sins and to turn to God. And they cast out many demons and healed many sick people, anointing them with olive oil. Now, I don't want you to pay attention to the specifics, the literal words there, casting out evil spirits, praying for the sick. I mean, those are important. And some of that stuff feels very foreign to us. We don't, we don't look around our world and go, oh, that person's clearly demon-possessed. I mean, we see it in movies, but we don't see it in our, in our normal society or the way that we might anticipate seeing that. That kind of stuff is actually much more prevalent uh, in, in other countries. But at the same time, it's still true. There are people who are sick, and there are people who have the courage and faith to pray for them, and they, are, and they are healed. But what we're talking about today is not just the specifics of literally how Jesus sent them out and they did those specific things. What we're talking about today is the willingness to go out and be an ambassador of hope and light in a dark world. So the question is begged, what are we supposed to be doing? What is it that we, as followers of Jesus, as people who, who consider ourselves Christians, as those who love God and who have been redeemed and who have been filled with hope and life because of Jesus, what should we be doing? Well, the answer is this: With authority and this is the thing to remember with authority, each and every one of us have been given the authority of Jesus Christ to do these three things. The first is this: is to point people to Jesus. All of us have been given authority to point people to Jesus. Verse 12 says, telling everyone that they met to repent of their sins and turn to God. I mean, isn't that really what it's all about? That's how we become a follower of Jesus. We realize the error of our ways. We realize that there's just nothing that I can do on my own. That no matter how good I am, no matter how wealthy I get, no matter how awesome of a job I have, or the best wife or husband, and the house and the cars, and the, and, and how much of a good person I am, and I serve in this community group, and I, all of these, no matter how good I am, when I lay my head on my pillow asleep at night, there is something that is missing, and I know that I'm not measuring up. That is the void that is left in our hearts because of the fall of man, because of the sin that lives in us. We are not connected to our creator. And there are millions and millions and millions of people out in the world who are living that life right now. And our goal, our purpose together is to go out and to point the way to Jesus. Now that sounds like a lot of times that might be, maybe that's a relief for you, Because sometimes people think that my job, our job as Christians, is to help people to know Jesus. And that means, like, you have to share the gospel with them. You have to read through the scriptures with them. You have to walk them through a certain prayer. No. Let's just start with pointing people to Jesus. With our lives, with our words, with our attitudes, with our hearts. Let's just point people. I mean, the scripture there said they told everyone that they meant to repent and to turn to God. Now, that doesn't have to be literal. Some people do. Some people walk up to random strangers on the street and they say, do you know Jesus? If you don't, you're dying and going to hell. I don't particularly think that is the most effective way to help people to know the love of God because even if you did scare them out of hell and into heaven temporarily, Ten minutes later, when you leave them, that person's going to go back into their lifestyle. A perfect example of this is a gentleman that we met when we were doing a, a prayer walk uh, for the ministry school. There was a gentleman, and listen, I am not talking, I'm not saying that it, that this man did not that he didn't believe in Jesus in that moment. What I am saying to you is, is that we went and, and met this guy, and we were praying for people, and we were handing out uh, cards and all sorts of things for our launch, and it was great. And we found this one gentleman, and one of the guys for the ministry school team came up and said, "Hey," and, and did kind of that thing, and basically said you need to know Jesus today. And that that gentleman in that moment gave his heart to the Lord right then and there. And I am praising God for for someone who has added to, to the ranks of our faith. But then I saw that guy and he said, yeah, I'll be at church this Sunday. Okay, great. I got his phone number. I texted him, hey man, you coming to church this Sunday? And he was like, yeah, I'll be there. Didn't come to church. Saw him the next week walking on the street, same thing, walking with a glass in his hand, he had sunglasses on, he totally looked hungover. I mean, I don't know what he was drinking in that cup, but just walking everywhere. I've seen him several times since, and every time he's like, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll be there sometime. Like, what I'm saying to you is that I don't know if the most effective way to truly help people to know who Jesus is, the hope and love and life that he has to offer, might not be in this, like, one wham-bam sort of moment where you would get someone just to sign on the dotted line. The whole point is so we can point people to Jesus and show them that, that life is found there, that true life is found in a relationship with Jesus. So what we need to do is in our lives, in the relationships that we build, when we start our life groups, we invite our friends to these things and we have real life conversations about faith, struggles that we have, and we talk about how God intersects in our lives and we point them to him and say, you know what, Jesus is the answer for me and I know that he'll help you too. That is. It's so much more attractive to people. So we need to be pointing people to Jesus. There is, but there is an element of truth there. So when it says that they, that they met everyone and they told them to repent of their sins, what, I'm, what I want to, a little caveat I want to add onto that is we do need to call it like it is. We need to have a backbone. As Christians, we need to know what is right and what is wrong, and we need to stand up for what is right and for what is wrong. And if you have a friend or someone in your life who you can speak into who's doing something wrong, we need to, in that relationship, in that love, we need to share with them truth, not judgment. We need to love someone and tell them. My sister is a perfect example of this. She has friends all the time that live lifestyles that are totally different than what she would live. And they talk to her and they love her because they're great friends, but they know exactly where she stands on things. But it's not because she judged them, it's because she told them the truth of what she believes and what scripture teaches. So there's a fine line there. We need to love people and point them to Jesus and always be willing to tell the truth, not in judgment, but tell the truth when it is time. The second thing that we need to do after pointing people to Jesus is we need, with authority, we need to dispel the darkness. One of the things that we are called to do, we have the power to do, is to make a difference in our communities by dispelling darkness. Verse 13 said they cast out many demons. And yes, while they literally were casting out evil spirits from people, I believe this is a, also a symbol for a greater thing. It is to dispel darkness wherever it is found. It is our job as Christians to seek out The darkness in our world, in our communities. If you know that there is someone being abused, we need to do something about it. If there are people who are going hungry, we need to do something about it. If there are people being trafficked around the world, we need to do something about it. There are so many problems all throughout our world. Some of them are in our own backyards, and we need to do something about it. And how? Why? Because we have the authority of Jesus Christ. I mean, Scripture says that. It says if, if he that is in us is greater than he is in the world, who can stand against us? No one can stand up against us because we have Jesus Christ, the creator of the universe, living inside of us. We have the authority to claim righteousness, to claim goodness in our world. And we have to stand up and we're willing to do it. It took a lot of guts for those disciples to go out into their, into their communities, into those villages. They had spent all this time in the classroom... I imagine in that moment when Jesus said, all right, guys, it's time to go. Like, they were like, go where? And they're like, all right, I'm going to send you out. Peter and John, you guys are going together, and, you know, and, and, and you guys are going over here. And they're like, but what am I, but what? In that moment, right? And they're like, and I want you to go, and I want you to pray for people, and I want you to cast out demons, and I want you to, to heal the sick. He didn't say pray for them. He said, I want you to heal the sick. I want you to cast out demons. It was, in, It was. he understood the authority that came with his name meant that he don't have to guess whether it's going to happen. He said, if you go out in faith and dispel the darkness, it will flee. Now that is the same authority that we have. With Jesus Christ living inside of us, we can go into our communities and know that we have the power to pray against evil and it will move if we stand up in front of it. We have to dispel the darkness in our communities. And guys, we have to realize that there is a spiritual war that is happening. I mean, it's, it's, it's not enough for us to think that it just has to do with the person I see in front of me. In the book of Romans, Paul says that. He says, we are not fighting against flesh and blood. We think we are. We think it's politicians. We think it's, it's the pimp or the drug lord or, the, or the, the, the person who owns the slum houses or we, we think it's the boss who's, who's a tyrant a, in our life. We think it's all those things because that's what we see. But scripture actually says that it's the powers and the principalities of the air. That means that there is a spiritual realm of evil just like there are angels that protect, there are demons. These are evil beings that actually are designed, their whole goal in life is to create chaos and wreak havoc in people's lives. Stick with me, guys. I know this is, this is tough. This is weird to hear because this is not something we talk a lot about, especially even in our churches and our worlds anymore. But listen, it's true. There are things that are controlling lives that are oppressing lives, the people that you see they are doing evil things oftentimes are influenced by things you cannot see. And so we need to pray. We need to be people of prayer. We need to understand the authority that we have. I'm not saying you go walk up to the strip club and knock on the doors and tell them to close. What I am saying is in your prayer closet at home, you pray with the authority of Jesus Christ that, that strip club gets closed. Under the authority of Jesus Christ, you pray that the women who are in bondage are freed. That's how we engage darkness. We dispel it by taking the authority that has been given to us and the willingness to be able to pray over it and believe that God has the power to do things that we cannot do on our own. We have to be willing to engage. We have to stand for truth. We have to stand up and be willing to be that that light in the darkness. And third, we need to point people to Jesus we need to dispel the darkness, and we need to be hope to the hurting. Verse 13, the last part of it said, and they healed many sick people. And I think that literally, that actually means that they would pray for people and they would be healed. But I also think it's a greater meaning of being hope, being there for others, and praying for all kinds of healing, not just sickness of of a physical kind of sickness like this person has a disease or an ailment but praying for relational healing praying for financial healing being willing to stand up and say let me be there for you we should be there for each other first for our brothers and sisters in Christ let's love people let's pray for them let's be hope but also for our communities. I've told this story a hundred times. How many times at my last job when I was working downtown, I just asked people if I could pray for them every day. I just started saying, can I pray for you today? How can I pray for you? When they'd come by my desk. People, they weren't Christians. I just asked them. And so many people were hurting. If you would just ask, is there something I could pray for you about? You would be shocked at how people need hope. And we can be that hope. Jesus sent the disciples out to point them back to him to be a light in the darkness, to cast out evil wherever they went, and to be hope, to be that what was missing, the hands and feet of Jesus. But none of this happens on our own. None of this happens alone. Our ability to change lives comes from the authority of Jesus. That's where it comes from. That's why I've been hitting that over and over again in this message. It's, it's important to understand. The very end, it capped off in that verse, it said, and he sent them out with the authority to do these things. Our ability to change lives comes from the authority of Jesus. Just a couple weeks ago, we had Pastor Fernando de Carvalho. He came and he's doing such amazing things in the kingdom of God, and he told a story to us about how he was praying for a man who was blind. And he kept praying, and he kept praying, and he kept praying, and nothing was happening. And he felt like he heard God say, put water on his eyes. And he did, and he prayed. And he told us, for most of you, many of you were in this room, and you heard this incredible story about how the man's eyes opened. Now, whether or not that happens in our life when you pray for someone who's sick or someone who has a disease or, or pray for something specific, whether or not that specific thing happens in that moment, Fernando believed enough that he had the authority of Jesus Christ to continue praying for that man because God wanted him healed, that it happened. And it wasn't because of anything Fernando did. It wasn't the amount of fervor that Fernando prayed with. There was nothing special about the water that he put on his eyes. It was because he believed that Jesus said he will do what he said, which is I give you the authority when you pray for people, they will be healed. We have to believe that. So ask yourself, how can I do these things? How can I do these things? Pointing people to Jesus, dispel the darkness, and being hope to the hurting. The answer is together, not alone. Together. We have to be together. And so we're starting our life groups next, next month in September. And there's three things that we are focusing on in those groups, the whole reason why they exist and you'll notice that each of our three weeks in this sermon series are directly related to that. They're friendships, strong relationships where you have loyalty and you can share life together. We need that, we're a place to belong. The second is mission. It's, a, it's to serve together. We'll have opportunities to support each other in life and in our mission of our church. Most of the serving opportunities we're going to have in our events and things we do are going to come out of our life groups. And lastly is spiritual growth, which will be the topic for next week's message. Growth. You, you come to church and you hear a message and you hear me talk to you for 35 minutes. But real life change doesn't take place on a Sunday morning at church. Real life change takes place when I'm in a, in a room with friends and we're talking about things that I'm struggling with this week. Pastor Scott and I are great friends and we spend time every week and we sit down and we talk about church, and we talk about faith, we talk about life, and he was honest. He was honest last week and shared about how it's hard to be vulnerable with people. You know, it's hard to open up and you want to say, like, hey, how are you doing, man? How are things going? And it's easier for us to say, well, I'm good, I'm good. When reality is, I'm not doing really good at all. I've got this pain, I'm, I'm hurting with this thing. But when you have a close friend or someone that you trust in a relationship, in, in these groups Scott and I have gotten to a place where we talk to each other and we share with what's going on and we can pray for each other and we grow in our faith together. And that's what we want, not just for me and for Scott or for me and other members of our leadership team, but for for all of you to grow, to have someone you can talk to, to have someone that you can grow in and you can ask questions with and share life together with. We are on a mission from God. We are. And the challenge today is join the mission. Join the mission. Be a part of it. The world needs you. The world needs us. The world needs this church. Become a part of this family. Become a part of this team. Join a life group. Another example is next Saturday, we're having our back to school bash where we're giving away 300 backpacks to, to kids with school supplies in them. You can donate. We still need supplies. We can we have sign ups out at the at the connection center. Sign up for a place to volunteer. Help us be hope in our community. Can you imagine what it would be like in our world? What would it be like in our community if just pockets of passionate followers of Jesus were just bring hope and being light in our community? Imagine what that would be like as, as you are meeting regularly with your life group and you're going places and you're doing things together and because of your genuine love for each other and the relationship you have and the faith that you're growing, you will learn to do all of these things and God will use it to bring other people hope, to bring other people life. Imagine what our church would be like if we had a church full of people who were excited about Jesus, who couldn't wait to get into the doors on Sunday morning to sing out how good God's love is and how he's changed my life because I'm so excited to get back out there and to share the love of Jesus with other people. Imagine what our families would be like. Imagine what our community, our city, and the world would be like as we take this to other countries and we start churches around the country and we do amazing things because of the authority that Jesus Christ has put in us. We do it together. We're a family, and God has given together the power and the authority to change lives. What would it be like if we actually believed that Jesus will be working through us when we do it? for listening to this message from Encounter Church. If you call Encounter Home or if you would like to partner with us to support the work that God is doing here, you can take advantage of our online giving option. Just go to EncounterPGH.com and click on the Support Encounter tab on the left side. This is a quick and simple way to stay up to date with your regular giving. We hope you join us next week.